Many years ago, when my kids were a lot smaller, we used to have this conversation in the car about the seatbelt. There was one of my children, I won't mention which one it is, uh, I've, I've taken uh, a lot of care to make sure I'm saying they and their and not use a, a pronoun that would give it away, okay? So one of my children would debate me on whether or not it was necessary to wear a seatbelt in the car. So it went like this. Put your seatbelt on. I had to tell this one of my children this every time. Put your seatbelt on, and the response that I would get back was, why? I would be asked, why do I have to put my seatbelt on? And my response was two reasons. Number one, because I'm the dad, and I said, put your seatbelt on. Number two, because I love you, and I don't want to see you get hurt. And we would have this conversation a lot. And I don't know, maybe you've had those kind of conversations with your children. If you, uh, if you raise kids, uh, maybe there were times when you would tell your child to do something and the response you would get back was, why? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to take a bath? Why do I have to go to bed? Why do I have to clean up my toys? And if you are a parent, you probably have responded the same thing. Number one, because I'm the parent and I'm in charge and you're not. And number two, because I don't want you to grow up to be a loser, right? Losers don't, don't bathe and uh, don't brush their teeth. I don't want you to grow up to be like that. I'm teaching you how to have good hygiene and clean up after yourself. So there's reasons why I'm telling you to do this. I want to welcome you back to our series that we are calling The Grudge. And this series is about learning how to lay the painful things down that we sometimes carry around with us through life. Last week, we talked about the small offenses in life that we experience. And how do we forgive those small offenses? Well, we do it by, by overlooking them, right? By saying... Uh, Okay, that just happened, but I'm over it. I wonder how many times you had to say that this week. I heard it more than once in in my family throughout the week. That just happened, but I'm over it. So we talked about how do we forgive those small offenses, but this morning what we want to talk about is how do we forgive the big offenses? How do we forgive the big betrayals? that we experience in life. And I'm not talking this morning about that stranger that cut you off in traffic. This morning we're going to be talking about that someone that you loved, someone that you trusted, and they broke the trust. They broke your heart. We're not talking about someone who didn't say thank you when you did something nice for them. This morning we're talking about that that someone who lied about you to a bunch of people and hurt you so deeply and embarrassed you so badly that it really made you cry, like weep kind of cry. We're not talking this morning about the person who forgot to follow through with something they said they were going to do. We're talking about that person who mistreated you, who abused you, that person who stole from you, cheated on you, abandoned you. I think before we can begin talking about how do we forgive the big betrayers, how do we forgive the big offenders in our lives, I think it's going to be helpful for us 
to address some of the questions that my kids have asked when they were small. Why? Why do I have to do that? Do I really have to forgive the big offender? And if so, why? Why do I have to forgive him? Why do I have to forgive her? So I want to address that. I think that's a legitimate question that we should explore together. And I think God's word has some good answers. In fact, Jesus has some very insightful things to say about this when it comes to how we forgive and why we should forgive the big offender. So I'm going to ask if you would join me in Luke chapter 17. If you would grab a Bible, if you have one in front of you, you brought one with you, the digital notes are on your phone, on your tablet. You can use those. If you go to the bulletin, the digital bulletin, there's a big green button that says notes. You just click that button, it'll take you to all the verses that we're using, some places for you to jot some notes down as well. If you would join me in Luke 17, the very first verse tells us that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. And this is what he says. There will always be temptations to sin. Now you might have it phrased a little bit differently than that. You might have something that says there's going to be things that cause people to sin. And they're going to come. Those kind of things are going to happen. Offenses, hurts, painful experiences, they are going to happen. Why? Because we live in a world that has been broken and tainted by sin in everything, in every person. And because we live in a sinful, broken world, people are going to do sinful things. And some of those sinful things are going to hurt really bad. There will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into the sea. So watch yourselves. Jesus does offer a caution to the one who offends. He says, that's going to happen. People are going to offend us. People are going to hurt us. People are going to do the wrong thing. But there's a caution offered to the one who offends or the one who leads others into sin. God does take sin very seriously, and God will deal harshly with unrepentant sin. Now, that might not happen immediately in the moment. And for those of you in the room or those of you listening today who might wish that God would immediately strike a lightning bolt on the person who has offended you in the moment, I would caution you to remember that if that's the standard we're going to use, then that's the standard across the board. And that would apply to you too. So God may not immediately deal with that offense or that sin, but God is just. And God will not turn a blind eye to unrepentant sin. He will judge that. This is interesting, though. The rest of this says, watch yourselves, just be careful. God takes sin seriously. But then he says, if a believer sins, rebuke that person. So it's not that Jesus wants us to just ignore sin. He doesn't want us to sweep it under the rug, to act like it didn't happen. We're supposed to resolve it. Now, remember what we talked about last week. There are certain offenses, small offenses, that we should be able to just overlook. 
to say, all right, that just happened. I didn't like it. It offended me, but I'm going to overlook it. I'm over it. I'm going to move on. But there may be some offenses that we can't do that. There may be some hurt, some painful things that people do or say that we need to have a conversation. And Jesus says, if that's the case, then go and have that conversation. Go try to resolve it with that person. And if that person repents and says, you know what, I'm sorry, you're right. I was in the wrong. I'm sorry. Jesus says, forgive them. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Uh, then if there's repentance, forgive. All right, so far, so good, right? So far, it's like, all right, uh, the, everyone makes mistakes, sometimes even big mistakes. I get that. I've made big mistakes. This person says, I'm sorry, we can move on. We can figure this out. We can work this out. But then continue to read. Verse 4, even if that person wrongs you seven times, in a day, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. The person has sinned against you seven times in a day, and Jesus says if they ask for forgiveness, you got to forgive them. Whoa, time out, wait, what? Seven times in one day seems like a pretty insincere apology, doesn't it? Seems like we should be saying, listen, if you were really sorry, you wouldn't have done it six more times in a day. We might be tempted to go back and say, well, I think we need to go back to the millstone around the neck and chucking people into the sea and drown them in the sea part of this. Seven times in a day? That's what should happen to this person who sinned against me. We get the millstone out, and we're taking a boat ride. Look at how the disciples respond to this. They respond maybe the way you would respond if Jesus had said this directly to you. They say this, show us how to increase our faith. Now, just imagine you're in the moment. Jesus gives this instruction. Someone sins against you seven times in one day. They ask for forgiveness. You need to forgive them. And their response is, I don't know if we can do that. We, we probably need some more faith. You need to increase our faith because that sounds really hard. I think it's an interesting response. They don't come out and say, uh, why? Why do I have to uh, forgive the big offender? They just, they just admit, I don't, I don't know if we can do that, Jesus. You're going to have to increase our faith. But look at how Jesus responds to them in verse 6. This is fascinating. They say, we need more faith. And Jesus says, mm, if you had uh, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, we all familiar with the size of a mustard seed? If you're not, it's really, really tiny, like one of the smallest seeds. Just a little bit of faith, a little bit of genuine faith. If you had just a little genuine faith, you could say to this mulberry tree, all familiar with a mulberry tree? One of the things about a mulberry tree that I didn't really know or understand, and maybe you didn't either, until I started reading through some uh, information about this passage, mulberry trees have a very messed up, uh, intertwined, tangled up, kind of really rough root system. They are really, really hard to get out of the ground. 
They are in there. And it's interesting that that's the particular tree that Jesus apparently points to. And he says, you could say, with just a little bit of small faith, just a little bit of faith is all you need, genuine faith. You can say to the mulberry tree, with all of its tangled up, really tough to deal with root system, you could say, be gone and thrown into the sea. Uproot and thrown into the sea. And it would obey. Seems like a lot of things are getting chucked into the sea by Jesus in this passage. Have you noticed that? Doesn't seem very WWJD, you know, to be polluting the sea with a bunch of mulberry trees and people with millstones around their necks. It's fascinating to me, though, that Jesus says just a little bit of genuine faith could uproot a mulberry tree. And it's, he's using that as a metaphor, right? What he's, what he's getting to is this. A little bit of faith is all we need to uproot our pride. All we need is a little bit of faith to uproot our self-absorption and in our anger. Because those are the kind of things that often hinder us from forgiving someone. A little bit of faith makes it possible to forgive the big offender. But then Jesus goes on to give this illustration. So they're, they're focused on faith, and I get it. We'll come back to that. But Jesus turns the conversation. You don't need a lot of faith, guys. Here's what you need. You need to start with this. You need to start with something different. He says in verse 7, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me. No. He says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. And then you can eat later. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Answer, of course not. That's not what this relationship is. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. You getting the point that Jesus is making here about forgiveness? If you take this whole conversation between Jesus and his followers, his disciples, and you think about what Jesus is teaching about forgiveness, I think what he's emphasizing here is that forgiveness is an act of obedience. First and foremost, forgiveness is an act of obedience. And that's very significant because forgiveness is not presented in Scripture as an option. I think we sometimes treat it like it is, but it's not. Not from a biblical standpoint. Forgiveness is not presented in Scripture as something that we should do once we get enough faith. Or once we become super spiritually mature, well then I'll be expected to forgive people. But I'm not quite there yet, so I'm not expected to do that. It's not how it's presented in Scripture at all. Forgiveness is an act of obedience. God tells us we have to forgive. doesn't make it easy. Think about some of the things Jesus taught us. Look at Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us one of, the, one of the harder instructions as far as how we deal with other people that have hurt us, that have uh, wounded us or offended us in, in deep ways. Matthew 5 verse 43 
You've heard the law that says love your neighbor. That's easy, right? Love the people that are nice to you. Love the people that are kind to you. Love the people that do good things for you. Easy. We can do that. We can handle that one. Hate your enemy. Got it. I can do that. That's what the law says. Hate your enemy. Uh, Millstone around the neck. Let's take a boat ride. But Jesus says, but I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And by doing this, we're acting like his children. That's not easy, right? But that's what Jesus teaches us to do. Here in Matthew chapter 6, if you look at verses 14 and 15, we'll come back to the Lord's Prayer a little bit later. But after he teaches us how to pray, he says in verse 14, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But... If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty intense, isn't it? The thought of God refusing to forgive us because we have refused to forgive someone else, that's pretty heavy. For the follower of Jesus, forgiveness is an act of obedience to God. When I read through that, passage in Luke 17 and the image of the master and the servant and that relationship you know I took away I took away know your place know your place God's in charge not you God's in charge not me he said to do it so we do it it's kind of like when my child asked me why they had to put their seatbelt on because I'm the dad and I told you to do it I'm in charge and you're not. And I understand that some of these offenses in your life have been really, really bad. And you might be pushing back saying, it's not fair. What you just described isn't fair. I would agree with you. It's not fair. Fair would be that we would pray for our enemy, that God would put a millstone around their neck and drown them out at sea. That's what they deserve. That's what would be fair. But we can be very thankful that God's not always fair. Now, God's always just, but God's not always fair, and we can be very thankful for that. Let me show you why. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12. Think about your sin. Think about the things that you have done, the things that you have said, the offenses that you have made against others and against God. Think about your life. What do you deserve? Psalm 103, verse 10, He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Thankful for that? I am. I'm real thankful for that. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Thankful for that. The Lord is like a father to his children. He's tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Look at verse 14. I love verse 14. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. 
1 John 1, 9 is a really important passage when we talk about forgiveness and repentance. And it says, when we confess our sin, repent of our sin, that God is faithful and what? Just. doesn't say He's always fair, and we can be thankful for that. He's faithful, He's just, and He will forgive us. He's forgiving us on the basis of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, that that sin was paid for by Jesus. Which is why he's just in, in forgiving it, because it's been paid for. Think about what our sin deserves. Our sin deserves that we need the millstone, that we should be drowned at sea. That's what would be fair. But what does Jesus give us instead? He gives us grace. He gives us mercy, which is undeserved and unmerited. You look at... You look at Jesus on the cross, you, you have that image in your mind from the Gospels. Jesus was lied about, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was abused, beaten, and literally crucified. I think we could agree that those are some pretty big offenders he had in his life. Would you agree? <laughs> some pretty big offenders. And yet what we see in Jesus on the cross, literally hanging on the cross, dying, his response was in Luke 23, Father, forgive them. Jesus did not demand what was fair in that moment because he trusted the Father to do what was just. And that's really the heart of the gospel, isn't it? It's, yes, it's receiving forgiveness, but it's also being a conduit and giving that forgiveness to others. That's living out the gospel. If you go back to Matthew 6, and Jesus taught us to pray. This is fascinating. Uh, a lot of us memorized this prayer. Father in heaven, may your kingdom come, your will be done, right? A lot of you know this. Give us our needs. And then in verse 12, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. What if God forgave you and me the way we forgave other people? Lord, forgive me the way I forgave that big offender in my life. Lord, forgive me the way I forgave the one who lied about me to all of my friends. Lord, forgive me the way I forgave the one who broke their vow to me. Lord, forgive me the way that I forgave the one who took advantage of me. The way I forgave the one who betrayed me. The way I forgave the one who hurt my child. Forgive me the way I forgave them. I'm not going to stand here and say that any of this is easy. It's not. But it's what God expects us to do. It's what God did for us. If you go back to that car scene and my defiant little child. Put your seatbelt on. For the hundredth time, put your seatbelt on. That's kind of the tone I used. Why? 
I'm the dad, and I'm in charge, and you're not. And because I love you, and I don't want you to get hurt. When we talk about forgiveness as an act of obedience, we, we have to start with the why we have to do it, because God said, and he's in charge, and you're not. But I think it's good for us to explore why does God want us to forgive? Why does God demand us to forgive? Here's the answer. Because he loves you and he doesn't want you to get hurt. He doesn't want you to get hurt by carrying around the pain of the grudge your whole life. When God tells us to forgive, it might look as though he's telling us to let that person off the hook. But that's not what it's about. God is just, and he'll deal with the offense. If it goes unrepented of, he'll deal with it. He'll judge that. We let that in his hands. The reason God is telling you and me to forgive is because he loves us and he doesn't want us carrying around painful things our whole lives. God is more interested in healing your heart. God wants to set you free from the bitterness and the hatred. God wants to lighten your burden. You know, when the big offender hurts us seven times in a day, we're tempted to say, well, just how much forgiveness do they really deserve? Wrong question. The right question we need to be asking is, how much freedom do we really desire? Because forgiveness is saying, what you did, what you said, it's not going to hurt me the rest of my life. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to continue to be a victim. I'm not going to continue to be a prisoner to this. I'm not going to continue to walk through life bitter and miserable. I'm not going to carry around this painful cactus anymore. I am laying it down. Forgiveness is not about trying to fix the past. You can't do that. Forgiveness is about changing the future. Now, good news, I no longer have to demand that my children put their seatbelts on. When we get in the car, it just happens. That's good news, right? And at first, I know they did it because I'm the parent and I'm in charge. But over time, they learned to do it because they know I love them and I don't want them to get hurt. And now they can see the wisdom behind my demand. Does that make sense? As they get older and more mature, they can see the wisdom behind my requirement. They have faith in my instructions. Now we can go back to what the disciples said. Because it's not like they were off base in saying, we need more faith. Yeah. There may be some quality issues with, with our faith that need to get better. You think about faith and its connection to forgiveness, it's there. We do, need, we do need faith to forgive. Faith is believing that God is right. 
faith is believing that his instructions on this and everything else are what's best for us. That requires faith to believe that. Faith is trusting in the one you follow. Think about following someone into something that is difficult. You had better have faith in that person if you're going to do what's required that might be hard, that might be difficult, that you don't want to do. Faith is saying, Lord, you said I have to forgive. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. But I trust you. You said it's what's best for me, so I'm going to do it because I trust you. I have faith in you. I'm following you. You know, I could ask you who hurt you. I could ask you who betrayed you, who lied about you, who mistreated you, who abused you, who stole from you, who abandoned you. And you could probably pick up the cactus and say, right here, this is who my big offender is. But I want to ask you a different question. I know you could point to who your big offender is, but I want to ask you, who is your biggest defender? Who is it that you trust to defend your heart from anger and bitterness and hatred? Who is it that you trust to defend your heart from becoming this this hard, stone, cold heart? which is where anger and bitterness and hatred lead a heart. Who do you trust enough to fight your battles? Who do you trust enough to always do what is just, even if it's not fair? See, when you have faith in the one that you follow, and hopefully that's Jesus, when you have faith in the one that you follow, then obedience will follow the one you have faith in. Even when the one that you're following tells you to do something that's really hard, something you don't really want to do, but you have faith in the one you're following to know that he's asking you to do that. He's telling you to do this because it's for your good. You know, when you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior, there's something amazing that happens. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. And the Holy Spirit gives us, first of all, a desire to forgive and also the power to forgive. Because it's not natural. It's not something that that we would... Uh, that we would want to do on our own. That's why we're so thankful that God gives us the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ as our Savior. And so I'm going to ask you just straight out, who do you need to forgive? Jesus is saying you need to forgive because I want you to lay that pain down and find the freedom of forgiveness. 